0: How's it going? Good. Uh, Welcome. My name is Joel Farber. I am the worship pastor here at Friendship Church, and I have the, gosh, she's trying to get brownie points for song choices or something, Tracy. Um, Yeah, so I'm the worship pastor here at Friendship Church, and I have the great honor of getting to speak today. Uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Kenny are nerds, and I love it. Uh, Never have I had the opportunity to work with. Uh, as great a people as them, and uh, honestly, to uh, just share a little bit more about how nerdy they are. Like, sometimes you'll be in the Prior Lake office, and it's, it's after our big leadership team meetings, and Matt and Kenny will be in the middle of our office, just going back and forth, well, what are you going to do with Genesis 18? And Kenny's over here, well, I'm going to take it this direction. And they just geek out over it, and it's so fun to watch because, uh, one, it's kind of like a, a Christian boys fraternity, and... Uh, it's just fun. So we are blessed to have them as our lead pastors leading the charge here at Friendship Church. Uh, All right, so there's that. Um, Before we go any further, we all know there's stuff going on in the world today, Uh, a lot of danger. And uh, we're not going to pray any specific way other than for those who are in danger. And I want to ask that you just join me in praying for what's going on in the world right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you are, and we know, Lord, that there are many people in danger and harm's way around the globe, and specifically, Lord, over in Eastern Europe today. And Lord, we, we, we know that there are people there that, who know who you are. We know that there are people who don't know who you are. And God, sometimes we can't fully understand or grasp the full measure of what's happening, but we know that you do. And we know that ultimately the sin of the world brings forth just junk in life. But what we do and who we turn to in that junk is what matters most, God. So I pray for those who know you in the face of danger right now, whether it's in the Middle East or elsewhere, that they would lean into your presence, lean into your peace, lean into the comfort that you give them in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for those who don't know you, That may be trembling in fear, that they would be comforted by your peace, Lord, that you would draw near to them, that the name of Jesus would be made known to them so that they can turn and believe and have the full measure of their life made complete in Jesus Christ. And for those that are in danger, that, that know who you are, would you give them courage to share your name right now, to share the love of Jesus? Doesn't matter where, and God, we uh, we know and we trust Your sovereignty, and we can't understand, uh, but we trust and we look to You. We love You. Thank You for being our Creator, for being our God, in Your name we pray, Amen. Thank You, Church. So last fall we were in a series called Creation and the Cross, and that took us from Genesis chapter 1 through 11, and uh, recently we've been in this series called When God Says Jump that takes us from uh, chapters 12 through chapter 20. It ends next week. And so, uh, you know, you you probably know there's more to Genesis uh, if you're interested in studying more of Genesis on your own, or if you're in a life group and you want to plead to your leader, hey, life group leader, let's do this study. We have uh, some curriculum created for Genesis 24 through 35 that takes us through the lives of Isaac, and Jacob. So if you're interested in continuing on, on Genesis on your own, uh, we'd welcome you to reach out to Friendship Church or your life group leader and dig in. Uh, it's great stuff, and Pastor Matt and Kenny do a good job putting it together. Um, all right, so there's all of that. Last week, Pastor Matt was here preaching, and he uh, said this week that Pastor Kenny's going to be back. Well, I'm not Pastor Kenny, and uh, I think Matt probably overpromised, but he's still overdelivered because you get me today. Uh, but actually, Pastor Kenny is, uh, he's getting some much-needed vacation and family time. So as your church, uh, you being his church body specifically, would you just, uh, as you're thinking about him this week, pray for him to be rejuvenated, to be refreshed, and to come back ready to uh, just continue to preach the Word of God here in Shakopee and Scott County, um, so anyway, we're a team at Friendship Church, so I'm here today, next week, Pastor Sam Dahl will be here wrapping up the When God Says Jump series, and then on uh, March 13th, we have Mission Sunday here at the Shakopee campus, where both the Prior Lake campus and the Shockby campus, we all come together in one big hug, and we worship here at Shakopee campus, and it's going to be fun, Pastor Luis will be here, we're going to sing some fun worship music, and uh, it's going to be great. Um, All right, so alas, you get me this week. And church, what do you think Pastor Kenny left for us to learn about today? Sodom and Gomorrah! Fire and brimstone, baby. Oh, man. Uh. So uh, we'll dig into that some more as we go through on, but let's pause and just pray as we dig into the word of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, for being our Savior. We thank you for making a way for us to approach the throne of God boldly. Uh, And God, we just pray that as we dig into Scripture here and now that you would reveal to us something new, that you would reveal um, in our hearts what we know is true deep and down. And God, we're going to be confronted with opportunities to look at sin in our life or maybe surrendering our life. And I pray that uh, you would work in our hearts now as we prepare to uh, confront that, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week, Pastor uh, Matt was here, and we went through Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to do a brief recap, because it it goes right into 19, and there's some uh, juxtaposition that's cool to see, if we can understand what happened before as we get into what's happening today. So in Genesis 18, there's an interaction between the Lord, two angels and Abraham. And we see Abraham's humility before the Lord and the, these angels as he bows before them and offers them hospitality. And in that meeting, God promises to Abraham and Sarah a son. And then after that, the two angels leave the Lord and Abraham and they make their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Genesis 18 is ending within this private meeting between the Lord and Abraham where the Lord is telling Abraham that he's going to investigate the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, along with the promise of destroying those cities when he finds it all to be true. And so, in that moment, we're seeing Abraham uh, respectfully pleading before the Lord uh, on behalf of of the righteous people that might be found in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, if there are righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you not destroy the city on account of the righteous? And so ultimately, at the end of the passage, God says, okay, on account of ten righteous people, if we find them in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not destroy those cities, but have mercy. And ultimately, the Lord's mercy is shown in his willingness to spare the entire city on account for ten righteous people. So... Let's jump into Genesis 19, where we see three different sections as we read through it. And the first section is in verse 1 through 22. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face on the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, "No, we will spend the night in the town square." But he pressed them strongly, so they turned again so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So, it's in this moment that we see these two angels that were previously with the Lord and Abraham entering the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see them, they come, and they meet this man named Lot. And in similar fashion, Lot bows before them and offers hospitality. It's in this resemblance to Abraham that we saw in chapter 18, uh, where we see it's demonstrating that light is also a righteous person, unlike the rest of the city. If we continue reading in verse 4, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called the lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Now, the men of the city weren't coming to the house knock, 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 asking to meet his visitors. They weren't bringing cookies or hot dish. Uh, The men demand that the visitors are brought out so that they may know them. And... In the context here, it's better understood that their intent is to have forced relations with those visitors. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Wow. All right, so Lot's standing outside of his door, and he's trying to keep the men of the city at bay. And instead of giving him the visitors, he's like, hey, here, have my virgin daughters, and do with them as you would please. And as a dad of two little girls, I cannot imagine being Lot in that scenario. But there are two things we have to consider is one Some believe that in that culture, it was customary to do whatever you can to protect your visitors. But not only that, as we've been seeing and as we'll continue to see, Lot is, or not Lot, but Sodom and Gomorrah are very sinful places. And ultimately, the people there are going to do what they want to do, and they don't care who tries to stop them. And it's sad, but very true. In verse 9, but they said, Stand back! And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Essentially here, the men of the city are like, Oh, look at this foreigner all high and mighty. Uh, Now we're going to do the same thing to you as we are planning to do with your visitors. Then they pressed hard against the man-lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men... The angels, they reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Okay, so imagine this. We have... These men sent from the Lord, and they urged Lot to leave the city as it's going to be destroyed. Not only that, but Lot just experienced an entire night of fearing for his life, his family's life, and his visitor's life. And then he's urged to leave, and verse 16 says, He lingered. What? Despite all that had gone on that night, Lot still did not fully grasp the full measure of what was about to happen to that city. And it makes us stop to think about, why did Lot linger? Was he content in the temporary safety that we saw in verse 11, uh, when the angels of the Lord blinded the men? Was he maybe second-guessing his own urging of his sons-in-law to leave, uh, because they're like, hey, future dad, you're just joking. Maybe Lot began to feel like he was joking. Uh, Perhaps he was comfortable with his surroundings, possessions, maybe even the sinful culture that he knew. We don't know exactly why, but we do see God's mercy. Verse 17, And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was Zohar. So what do we see in these verses? One, There's a lot of pleading going on. In the end of chapter 18, we saw Abraham uh, having the conference to boldly approach God, not one time, not two times, but actually six times, pleading on behalf of any righteous person that might be found in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's funny, as... We were going through these verses last week. I don't know if anyone else saw this picture of maybe a parent and a child having a conversation when Abraham was talking to God and saying, Okay, God, but like, if you find righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, aren't aren't you willing to save the city on account for the righteous? And then he goes on and he's like, okay, God, like, how about 50 people? If you find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare the entire city on account of those righteous people? And God's like, yeah, okay, I will. And then Adam is like, oh, this is working. Okay, how about 40? How about 30? How about 10, 20? And finally, God's like, yes, on account of 10, I will not destroy the city for the sake of the righteous. And all I could think of the entire time was, My two little girls, uh, little Miss Zoe's the bigger one, sitting on the couch, and we're watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and Zoe's like, Daddy, but can we just watch five more minutes? No, honey, we gotta go. Can we watch three? No. Okay, and this is where she's getting smart. But Daddy, uh, when we get home, we can watch another one, right? That's kind of what I see between Abraham and this boldness to come before the Lord and ask and ask and ask. And ultimately, because he believed in faith that God would provide. In chapter 19, we see uh, a man, Lot, Mr. Lot. He has the audacity not only to linger in danger, but then he pleads for an alternative when he's given a, a directive to escape to the hills. So we see a lot of pleading. What else? We see faith versus fear. What difference are we seeing between Abraham and Lot in these two chapters? It's a difference of faith versus fear. And as Pastor Matt kept talking about last week, there's faith wins and faith fails. Abraham has faith in a merciful and just God, and he boldly approaches him with pleas to save the righteous. Whereas we see with Lot that he can't see beyond his own fear. And he quickly becomes self-preserving because of everything that's going on around him. And his clear lack of faith that God would provide in the hills speaks volumes because God just rescued him from the city. And still, what do we see? That God is still merciful. Despite not finding ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, God showed mercy to Lot and his family. The cities were still destroyed, as God had promised, but he showed mercy to Lot and his family by rescuing them. The next section is verses 23 through 29. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So, what was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley? God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. We see there in the end of that passage that God remembered Abraham's plea. He remembered his plea to save the righteous, and he still saved Lot. So, so far, with the little that we've read and seen about these two cities, can you believe how sinful it must have been? I think Genesis 19 is painting a pretty clear picture. And it's in these verses that we just read where we get this age-old fire and brimstone analogy. If you've ever heard of them, and brimstone is just another word for sulfur. And the fire and the sulfur that God rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah demonstrates that God hates sin. It shows us that God hates sin and reminds us of the most certain final judgment to come. God hates sin. God hated the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God hates our sin. Let's pause though, because you might be sitting here thinking, well, Joel, what about my sin? If God hates my sin, is he going to rain fire and sulfur on me? Well, I'll answer that in a little bit, but here's a hint. God is merciful, and God is patient. So continuing on, these cities are destroyed as a result and as a punishment for their sin. Let's look back to verse 17, when God commanded Lot and his family through, these, through his angels to escape the city for the hills. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And what does Lot's wife do? She looks back. Verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And the word look here, its intention is to look at, to gaze, or to regard With pleasure. And so, this type of language here would suggest that Lot's wife stepped, stopped, not only to look, but to look intently, to gaze, to regard with pleasure what she might have left behind her home, her possessions, the sinful culture in which she was living. And we'll see a similar lack of faith. And the effects of that sinful culture on Lot's daughters later in this chapter. So what are some takeaways from these verses? First is that God will not let sin stand unpunished. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death. God hates sin. And maybe, friends, this is a good time to stop and think about what things in our life are we looking at? What are we gazing at or regarding with pleasure, favor, and care that either hold us back from obeying the Lord or worse yet, keep us in sin? I'd encourage you to think about those things as they pop up in your mind right now and to lay them before the Lord. What things in your life Are you looking at, gazing at, or regarding with pleasure, favor, and care that keep you in sin or keep you from obeying the Lord? In verse 30 through 38, if we keep reading, Now Lot went up out of Zohar, and lived in the hills with his two daughters for, we, for he was afraid to live in Zor so he's like no I'm not going to go to the hills can I live in Zohar? and they're like okay I grant you that wish and then what does he do he goes and lives in the hills cuz he's afraid to live in Zohar. Mr Lot So he lived in a cave with his two daughters and the firstborn said to the younger our father is old and there's not a man on earth to come into us after all the manner after the manner of all the earth "'Come, let us make our father drink wine, "'and we will lie with him "'that we may preserve offspring from our father.' "'So they made their father drink drink wine that night. "'And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. "'He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. "'And the next day the firstborn said to the younger, "'Behold, I lay last night with my father. "'Let us make him drink wine tonight also.' The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites today. What are, some or what are some things that we learn about Lot's daughters in that passage? We see that Lot's daughters have lost all hope. They lost their home, their mother, their soon-to-be husbands, and seem to have no hope that God will provide husbands. And we see that they chose fear over faith. We also see Lot's daughters and the effects of them being raised in a sinful culture. And even though that God destroyed those cities, the sinful nature of those cities was still engraved on their hearts. And lastly, we saw that Lot's daughters conceived two children, one's named Moab, the father of the Moabites and one's Benami. The father of the Ammonites. And both are nations that grew to be enemies to Israel. What are some things that we learn about their dad, Lot? Well, Lot is supposedly the only righteous person to be found in Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet we see he clearly lacks faith in spiritual leadership. Lot is also the father of two enemy nations to Israel. Talk about a terrible legacy. Had Lot been filled with faith that God would provide, perhaps he would have encouraged his two daughters to believe in that provision for home, food, shelters, husbands, to trust in the Lord's provision. But what we see is that Lot's daughters are so quick to turn to fear, just like their dad did, that they live within the sin of their culture to, do, to seduce their father. To preserve his family line. So that's then. What about now? If we fast forward to today, what does all of this mean for people today? Well, how are we like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, for starters, people are sinful, even today. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes me, includes you, includes the people next to you. It includes your family, your friends, your neighbors, your boss, your employee, uh, the stranger in the grocery store. All have sinned. How are we like Lot. Well, Christians today would be similar to the righteous as we've been talking about in Genesis 18 and 19. So in that fashion, if you're a Christian, you're, you're like Lot in that regard. But how else? What happens when we're faced with hardship like Lot? Do we choose fear over faith? Uh, do we choose to plead on behalf of others? Or like Lot, do we plead on behalf of ourselves to self-preserve in whatever we're facing? Or are we so ingrained with the sinful culture that's around us because it still exists? It wasn't just in Sodom and Gomorrah, it still exists today and we see it. Are we so ingrained in that that our life meant to be lived for Christ might be tarnished by our own sin? how are we better off than Lot and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? I alluded to this earlier when I quoted Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Genesis 19 says that God is still merciful And in a similar way that God provided rescue for punishment for Lot, he also made a way for us to be rescued for the punishment of our own sin. Church, what's his name? Jesus. We see it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. His only son, Jesus, is the way. We are better off because God gave us a way to be justified before him through Jesus Christ. And you remember earlier when I was talking about how God rains down fire and sulfur and how God hates sin and how all sin deserves death, even yours and mine? But there is a hint and that hint is that God is merciful and patient. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. I want us to take a moment here in this place to close our eyes as we consider what we learned in Genesis 19 and to think about how God might be moving in the room right now. God is merciful, and he made a way for us to live eternally with him by believing in Jesus Christ. We deserve punishment for our sin, Maybe it's that sin that you thought of earlier when we were confronted with that. But God, in his mercy, freely gives us eternal life when we believe in Jesus Christ. And in God's mercy, he is patient with sinful people wishing that they would not only believe in Jesus Christ, but also repent of their sin. Christians in the room today? Are you living in faith boldly as we saw in Abraham? Or are you stuck in fear and self preservation like Lot? Are you living in sin, feeling lukewarm in your faith? Your patient God is before you and your plea is perfect in the name of Jesus Christ. And Christian, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ has covered all your sins so that you may know life everlasting. In your heart right now, repent and live for Jesus. Others in the room today, Maybe you don't know Jesus. Do you want to know Jesus as your Savior? Do you feel that weight of your sin upon your shoulders? Do you feel the tug in your gut that God is calling you today to believe in the name of Jesus and be saved? You can have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray. And if that's you, you can pray with me. And then I'm going to pray for all of us. And so if I was someone that didn't know who Jesus was, but today I feel a calling to believe in him as my savior, this is what I would pray. Lord Jesus, I am convicted of my sin. I am convinced that I need a Savior. And Jesus, I don't know a lot about you right now, but I believe that you are the Son of God and that you gave your life to rescue me from my sin. And I choose now to live in faith over fear, to turn from my sins, my selfishness, my self-preservation, any part of my life that is not pleasing to you. And in turn, I give my life to you. And for all of us in this room, whether you don't know Jesus, whether you felt compelled in that moment to meet him, or maybe you've known him for years. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in new ways, that we would continue to yield our own will to yours. Thank you for making a way of eternal life to us through Jesus Christ, in whom we are made complete Who intercedes on our behalf. Jesus, thank you. Amen. The church is not a building, although it's nice to have one that is warm. The church is the people who make up the church, the body of Christ. And the important thing to remember when we share the gospel, you got to be the body. You can't just hand somebody the gospel and walk away. And so maybe you're a person here in the church that decided to believe in Jesus for the first time. Friendship Church isn't walking away. There's a lot of people around you that know and believe the same thing that you are choosing to believe. We're not walking away. And for those of you in the room who might be struggling with that sin creeping up your neck, whatever it looks like, you don't got to hold it alone. We have a body of Christ to lean into. And it's not just me. It's not just our lead pastors. It's not the Friendship Search staff. It's not just the prayer ministers that you're going to have access to. It's us. So church, would we be so bold to step out and to love one another? To actually ask, how are you doing? To encourage one another in turning towards Jesus, away from our sin, We're not here just to be here from 10:45 to noon to go home to eat and do whatever else. But not only this, would you have courage this week to go out with the gospel, to maybe talk about it with a coworker or a friend. Maybe it's your mom and dad. Maybe it's a wayward kid. Would you hand the gospel to them and then walk with them? That's the importance of the Christian body. That's how we're better off because Jesus gave us each other, not only himself. So lean into one another. We're preparing for communion. And there's four stations around the room and if you'd like to participate in communion, you can If you believe in the name of Jesus, you can participate in communion. And we take communion because we want to remember what Jesus did for us. The price he paid for our sin, the fact that he gave his body for us, the fact that he poured out blood. It was gruesome for us so that we might know life everlasting. That's why we take communion to remember and to say thank you, Jesus. So as the band is playing this next song, I encourage you to go get your communion, hold on to it, and once they're finished, we'll come back out and we'll take communion together.